0: This is WCN, the whole care network, you talk, we listen. Content presented on the following podcast is for information purposes only. Views and opinions expressed during this podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent views of the whole care network. Always consult your physician for medical and fitness advice, and always consult your attorney for legal advice. And thank you for listening to The Whole Care Network.
1: Whether it's someone we can help them have the skills and knowledge to not be a target or a victim and avoid an assault and save one person, that's amazing.
0: We all have our stories, and by sharing them, we can truly show the power of the human spirit. My name is Jodi O'Donnell Ames, and I welcome you to another episode of Gratitude to Latitude, Stories of Resilience and Hope. As I mentioned in my series opening, I have been reaching out to new people and learning about stories out there which can shape our lives today and in that process Maureen Pierce reached out to me she is a survivor of an abduction and sexual assault and this is a tough topic but a necessary one so this all happened when she was eight years old And I'm hoping that today we can all learn more about self-defense, protecting ourselves, and having the techniques that will enable us to have some more freedom when we're out and about. I'm going to kick this off with a quote by Nicole Sundine. Feeling confident in your ability to protect yourself empowers you to live with less fear and more freedom. And I did a little research in 2019. Nearly 40% of women in the United States have reported encountering sexual violence. So Maureen, welcome to Gratitude to Latitude. And thank you so much for being here and sharing your story with us. Thank you for having me, Jody. So usually I begin with a story I ask my guests to go back to when they were young and to share a childhood story that shapes them. And for me and for you, this brings us right to the point of interest of this conversation. Eight years old is such a, I mean, you were just such a tiny little girl and I can't imagine, this is the unimaginable for everyone listening, but if you don't mind, we're glad that your offender was convicted. But, you know, how does
1: this happen so quickly? It did happen very quickly. And as you said, it's basically every parent's nightmare or worst fear. It's also more rare, even in my teachings and teaching self-defense and the programs I'm involved with. A lot of people talk about the fact that most people who are assaulted know the person, or is a, so. My case was truly a stranger abduction. I was eight years old at a park with my mom. My mom was there. My friend Heidi and I were playing. I literally just walked out of the fenced-in area. This was broad daylight in a big, safe park, shall we say, um, next to a fire station and started picking my mom flowers. And the man basically approached me quickly, covered my eyes and mouth and said, don't scream or I'll kill you. And just dragged me to the car. It And before I knew it, we were driving off. We were driving away. And I'm looking so, up at where my mother was.
0: <laughs> so I need to stop you right there because... As you said, this is every parent's nightmare. So broad daylight next to a firehouse with protectors. Right, right. right. Your mom is there. My friend. Other there. parents are there. You know, how does this happen? It, it just amazes me that this can happen and happen so quickly. Right. Which is just a, a reminder why we need to learn self-defense. But please share that guidance that you have for for any parents on how to prevent this from happening
1: and it it actually was just my mom my friend and i there were no other people there and the park is at on top of the hill and the man was at the bottom of the hill with his car parked mm-hmm. so i i for many many years as many victims or what i like to say survivors do even if our stories are different whether we knew the person or not We feel a lot of the same things following a rape or sexual assault. I blamed myself. I felt a lot of shame and guilt. But over the years, what I have learned through both becoming a Rad Kids instructor and and a Rad Women instructor is that trusting our gut and getting some sort of training so that you can quickly act so that you're not in that, you don't freeze, is very helpful. Of course, my situation, it is more rare where it was very quick. It was, he was aggressive, he was violent, and it happened very fast. However, I do believe that if I had some training and I thought quickly, I perhaps, let's say, could have jumped out of the car. Anything to avoid being taken from point A to point B, because the statistics are pretty staggering that if you are taken, if a child is taken from one point to another point, they generally often are murdered. Wow. So I do believe there are things I could have done with proper training and and reacted. But of course, at that point, I had no idea what to do. I I froze. We were driving away. And he threatened my life and whether he meant it or not, of course, at the time I believed it. You were eight years old, right
0: you didn't I mean, you're just a young child and you didn't know any differently and and it happened so quickly. So you mentioned your gut instincts. Mm-hmm. Please share those
1: with us. Well, I think now do you mean I think in, in every aspect of if you're a child, and what uh, rad kids or any kind of self defense program, or even just having conversations with our children, is so important. And teaching them what kids might not know what intuition is. So you might say that gut feeling or that that funny feeling. But whether whatever age you are, it's really important to trust those. And to not be embarrassed by them and to know that you can respond to those. If something doesn't feel right, you have every right to, you know, if a person is approaching you, you have every right to cross the street, to leave, to quickly Mm -hmm. get to a safe place. We're so, when it comes to kids, we're so, as a society, you know, be respectful, listen to adults. We have to give kids permission to say no to adults. They don't have to hug them, for instance, you know, any person, they have to be able to respect their personal space and we have to give them a right, the right to say no to adults. And it's a hard thing to do to explain to a child, but it's, and, that. but for adults also, it's really important. People get embarrassed if they feel funny, like getting on an elevator with. With someone or someone approaching you and asking for help, you might feel embarrassed, like oh I'm just I'm overreacting or I'm being silly or I'm living in fear. You really do need to trust that inner gut or that voice or your intuition because it's important and it's telling you something.
0: I really believe in that, and there's so many great points that you're sharing here. So first, I want to go back to the gut instinct, the intuition, what did you do to escape?
1: So initially, as he's driving me away in his car, and I again, I'm looking up at where my mom at the top of the hill where my mom and my friend are, he drove me to a remote area in Wisconsin, where I grew up to a cornfield. There really wasn't anyone around. And I mean, I think he chose that area for a reason. So we are in the cornfield and what he would do is rape and sexually and physically assault me and then go back to his car and say, don't move, don't do anything or I'll kill you. Again, I don't know if he meant it, but of course, at that time I believed it and I listened to him. My thought is he was probably going to the car to see if anyone was coming or if anyone you know, was, were we still alone? Was he the only one on the side of the road? And he'd come back. And after some time, I just remember, first of all, I prayed. I really do believe I had guardian angels with me that day. I took a deep breath at one point and I prayed. And I remember thinking, I, I don't want to die today. I want to see my mom and dad again. I want to, what do I do, God? What do I do? And I just at some point, just thought, I'm not going to listen to him and just stay and not he told me not to move. So at one of the many times he would come back and assault me, but he'd go to the car, I basically just got up, and in a cornfield, there's Rose. I went the opposite direction of his car, and I just kept walking, running. As far away from him as I could. And I got to the side of the road. I did see him drive off. I don't know if that was planned or because he realized I got up and ran. And eventually a car came and I waved the car down.
0: Well, my heart goes out to the courageous eight year old who decided to run. And I'm so grateful that you're here with us and that you survived this encounter. What was it like to see him? Accused, you were how old? Nine years old at the time.
1: Correct. Let's see. I think I, because I have a June birthday. He was still. I was probably still in third grade, eight years old. But I had to. When I had to face him, was in a lineup. So I did go back to school after this. I was at a small Catholic school. I remember being in line at school after this and just feeling completely different. Like there was this big bubble around me and it wasn't talked about then, you know, there were no Amber alerts. So I just basically tried to go back as if nothing happened, which of course that didn't work for (laughs) that really didn't work. But I, over time they did catch him and the police would often come to the school and my dad would be there and I would just be pulled out of school and go, you know, I had to look through like books of, to see if I recognized him. I had to go back to where he took me to try to get evidence. When they did catch him and they got me out of school, I was terrified to face him. And I remember holding on to the to a door at Like my dad had to kind of pull me (laughs) because I didn't want to leave. I didn't want to face him. But at the time, the police officers did reassure me, he won't see you. You will see him. So that was when I first had to face him, which was after the assault was in a lineup. And sure enough, he was in the lineup. So I identified him and there was enough physical evidence He ended up confessing. I did not have to face him in court. My dad was there for the sentencing, but I believe they gave me the choice and I did not want to be there.
0: I don't blame you.
1: I wouldn't want to be there either. But my dad was there and my dad and I didn't talk about it till years and years later. So my facing him was identifying him in the the lineup. He was number four.
0: And justice was served. Mm Mm-hmm. So trauma, you're eight, nine years old and you began self-defense in 2012. Is that
1: correct? Well, I became a certified trainer in 2012. I actually started martial arts at college on my own. It wasn't through school. And again, I believe it was a God moment that I just happened to look up this martial arts school. It was about a 30 minute drive from my college campus but it was the beginning of a huge change for me. It was a big game changer. I mean, I had to go. It was a long road after that, but I realize now that that was the first time I was starting to take my power back. And for the first time, I did become close with my master at the time, Master Wasman. And there were certain adults throughout college that I would confide in and that were mentors to me because I was still not super open about it and didn't know how to talk about it and was embarrassed. But I remember, you know, having conversations with some of these mentors and this martial arts instructor, and he talked about that my childhood was stolen from me. And I never thought about that. And I never grieved that. And I thought, that's true. I, that day, like, like basically in a snap of a finger, my innocence in my childhood was, was stolen from me. And it was, he said something like, you deserve to get that back. And that did just give me chills right now. But that is why I teach and wanted to become an instructor because I always wanted to do something with my experience to help others. I just didn't know what to do. So like in college, I helped teach self-defense with the Dean of Students. I'd always try to do something to give back. So later when I became this certified instructor, it's been amazing because whether it's someone we can help them have the skills and knowledge to not be a target or a victim and avoid an assault and save one person, that's amazing. Or if people are coming to those classes to get their power back that they felt was taken from them. It's huge. It's life changing.
0: Absolutely. So you mentioned college is when you found your way to self-defense. And this happened to you when you were eight. So between eight and 17, how did you process this? And how did you deal with it? That's my first question. And my second question is you mentioned feeling embarrassed, which just, it, it surprises me. And is that a common response? Okay.
1: So your first question, how did I process it? Well, very, that's very interesting. Thank God for my parents, amazing parents. And, you know, my mom herself, my parents themselves, obviously had to go through a horrible trauma. And when I became a parent myself, I thought, how did you do that? Because I couldn't imagine that happening to my I have four boys. And my mom said to me, I prayed to God that I'd get you back. And as long as I got you back, I'd be okay. But I don't there wasn't a whole lot of help then. Like they were basically told, Oh, she's she seems pretty good. She seems strong. But I was worried about my parents. I felt responsible for what happened. I felt like it was my fault. So I tried To just basically shove it down and slap a smile on my face and be strong. But I definitely had guidance throughout the years from my mom. And mainly, she would give me lots of prayers. There's a couple that just stand out so much. She would give me prayers. She would give me, I remember her giving me this book, Norman Vincent Peale, The Power of Positive Thinking. Like, Mm. she didn't have a lot of tools she really wasn't given any direction at the time. So she just tried to fill my heart and soul with love and positive thinking and prayer. And that was very, very important. But as time went on, I definitely, I do think it's important for people to process. You can't shove these feelings down forever and heal. It just doesn't work. So I did dabble. I would say I dabbled in therapy when I was in college, but the problem was I really needed someone to push me because what I would do is I would go to a session and talk about everything else going on at that time, friends, dating, and wouldn't really get to the hard stuff. So I really didn't go to true, I think, intense therapy until I was an adult and it was here um, in Atlanta at Emory University with someone who specialized in PTSD. So I hope I answered your question. That's, I, I did the best I could and had a lot of help from my parents, but the truth is I was still shoving it down. And and your, your faith and your family helped you to heal. And I
0: understand that about therapy because therapy is about facing the hard stuff right. and no one wants no one wants to face the hard stuff we just it's easier to avoid it than face it so i understand that completely as well so you mentioned also that you know you felt embarrassed and you shared it again so is this a common response
1: uh, okay yes I, that was your second question i really do feel and i've done a lot of research and looked at a lot of books and i do follow a lot of people you know, that you talk about assault and kind of adults who are survivors of childhood assaults. It does seem to be, there's so much shame involved and it is kind of crazy, right? Why would we blame ourselves? But for some reason, a lot of people share in that blame, you have anxiety, fear, depression. I I guess for me, with my situation, I felt like, why did I walk away from my mom? Why did I do that? Why didn't I, why didn't I yell? Why didn't I jump out of the car? Those were the, look what I, I hurt my parents. So I do think it's a very common thing for people to feel embarrassed. Either they feel people won't believe them or they think that, People don't want to hear about it. It's a difficult topic, I guess. Or they blame themselves because they think they're at fault for some reason. And, you know, maybe that's why it's embarrassing to talk about. I didn't know how people would react. I didn't know if that's how I always felt. Until later in life, my story sort of accidentally became more public. But basically what I've learned is without sharing what you've gone through, you really can't help others. And that's the only thing I want to do. I'm like, I want to do something with what happened to me. And you can't help others if you're not willing to share and be vulnerable.
0: I always say, Maureen, that helping is healing. 100%. And when we utilize our experiences to help the greater good in some way, shape, or form, it's healing. And I think that's exactly what you just expressed.
1: It really is. And I think I also needed to realize that because there were things I did, like when I moved to Atlanta from Milwaukee, gosh, way back in 95, I immediately like signed up to be and go through training to be a rape crisis counselor. And I did that for a while. I didn't really talk about it with anyone because I was searching for ways I could help others. But I also know, too, I kind of hadn't really healed myself. And as you mentioned, a lot of people avoid that because they don't want those really deep, those hurtful things brought up. But without going through that and without bringing that up, you really can't heal what you don't acknowledge. And I mean, I think my parents, when I was younger, I was told things like, oh, don't let it define you or take a picture of it and put it in a box and put it away. Or my parents would say, she seems fine. But I think people understand now with many difficult situations. I've listened to your your incredible podcast and all the courageous people with ALS. And if you don't acknowledge those tough feelings and deal with them and process them, you really can't heal. So yeah, sometimes it's going to get worse before it gets better. If you're going to bring up some of these things, especially if you've shoved them down for a long time, but it's in the end, it's freeing and it's healing. And you understand, understanding for me, when I understood why I was so anxious um, and li- and so fearful, it actually freed me and I felt better and I felt stronger and more empowered and i was able to heal by sharing and by pulling up those tough feelings
0: well the, it takes work is what we're saying it, it really it takes work but the results are so worth it and as i look at you right now as we're doing this podcast you are a beautiful strong confident woman and again kudos to you for finding your way after such trauma and also for recognizing that you can use this experience to help others. You know, when my daughters went to college, I had one requirement, (laughs) honestly, and that was that they had to sign up for a self-defense class and neither one of them did it. And I kept saying, I will pay for it. You know, I couldn't sign them up. They were at college and they had access to all that information and they never did it. And to this day, I think everyone should take a self-defense class, empower ourselves. So what would you say to, you know, what programs, and I know you're involved in one, so tell us more about that. Tell us what it entails and how do we sign up? Okay,
1: and I love that you wanted to do that for your daughters. And we'll talk about this later, but I would love to make that happen. And yes, I would love Awesome because I I want to take a class as well. It's it's (laughs) it's wonderful. And just to go back on what you said about that, it does take work to heal again, listening to your podcast and all the amazing people you've had on and whatever the challenges and tough times they're going through. I just want people to understand it is a journey. It doesn't happen overnight. It does take time and takes work. But I want them to believe in themselves. To not give up, to to just hang in there day by day, that if it gets worse, it's gonna get better, and not to give up hope. And part of the healing, I believe, I do believe it's mind, body, spirit, you have to heal. But as far as body and getting your your power back that or training you to not potentially be a target is through great self-defense programs. There are a lot out there. The one I'm involved in is called RAD, R-A-D, RAD Women. Their website is RAD Systems. And you can look up the program locator and try to find, it is nationwide, but for the most I'm, I was just going to ask that it's nationwide, it is, and you'd have to look at a program locator and see if there are rad classes in your area. There is also rad kids for younger children, and that would be rad kids' website. And then look at their program locator. The reason I like this program is it's pretty intense, it's not just a you're in and out in two hours because I do think it's important for people to know. That if you take a two hour class, it's something is better than nothing, but that repetition is really important. You know, you learn the self-defense moves, but before that even happens, the big part of the education is awareness, because about 80 to 90% of self-defense, they say, is you have a plan, you're aware of your surroundings, just that awareness and doing things like trying not to be walking alone or having your keys ready again not looking at your phone just being aware trusting your gut and then after we talk all about that they get into some basic moves and one of the best things that your most powerful tool you have is your voice but it's you you have to practice that so you practice getting into stances and yelling at the top of your lungs no, or stay back. And that repetition is important because people might say, Oh, I would totally yell. I would yell and run, but you freeze. So going through it over and over trains your brain. I am an independent instructor. About, I, probably about 90% of the RAD systems instructors are in law enforcement. So a lot of police, mm-hmm. a lot of police officers, sheriffs on campus, certain campuses have this. In fact, I'm teaching, helping teach a class tonight at Kennesaw State University. So a lot of police officers will offer this at their precinct or their college campus for free. If you cannot find a RAD program, I would just encourage people just look into programs that have been around for a while. And I think it's better if it's a two hour thing. It's better than nothing. But take it over and over. I think it's better if it's possibly an eight to 10 hour program broken up into about four days.
0: I really appreciate the fact that you mentioned awareness as the beginning of this process because it's something that I have shared with my children. Being aware of your surroundings. Don't look down. Have a well-lit place that you're in. Don't walk alone. So thank you for bringing that up and thank you for sharing all of that information. I also wanted to ask you about your story should be in a book, an inspirational book to help others who have experienced something similar and to find their way. Is that something that you've thought about?
1: Uh, Actually, yes. When my story kind of became public by accident uh, years ago, it was because I heard about Rad Kids. On a a local uh, radio station, the Burke Show here in Atlanta, it was because of a very awful event that happened in Atlanta. And a young girl, Jarelli Rivera, was was abducted right in her neighborhood and ended up being assaulted and killed. And, you know, these things happen all the time, sadly but sometimes when it's in your community, it shocks the community. So when I heard these two men talking, one of them is Gary Martin Hayes. He is a local attorney, but he's involved in all these other things. He had asked me years and years ago, will you write your story? I was shocked and overwhelmed and it w- and I never did it. And I think it was that self-doubt in my head of who am I to write a book? Why is my story important? But now I feel like I'm ready and Excellent. As you know, we met through this amazing community called Build Your Life Resume, B-Y-L-R, and all the, you included, all many, many people that I've met through that Build Your Life Resume and community are so inspiring. And I will say that's one thing that I've always done I throughout growing up too, when I I follow inspiring people and I get inspiration and hope from their stories. So Jim House is in the community and he helps people write their stories in their books. And I did work with him and he believes, he believes in me, which was very important. So now I'm working on believing in myself That I could do this because if I could help one person, it would be worth it. And I feel like my angle would be from, am I a therapist? No, but I can talk to you about my journey because it really is a journey. You're healing. it's, It's a lifelong journey. I'm still learning things. I'm still working on myself. But that I could talk about getting that personal power back and encourage them to do that. So I haven't even really talked about it to anyone. But here I am. Well, you just did. You know, so.
0: (laughs) I wanted to bring that up because accountability. I want to read your story. And thank you for mentioning Jim House. He's a great guy. Build Your Life Resume was established by Jesse Itzler. He's an amazing man. The husband of Sarah Blakely. I know. We all believe in you. We all want to support you in this journey. And, you know, this podcast is about gratitude to latitude, stories of resilience and hope. And all of our stories matter. Your story matters. You are living in gratitude. And the latitude part is that you are constantly growing and rising to the occasion. Thank you so much for joining us today. I want to give you the opportunity to share a quote that has inspired you and how our guests can get in touch with you. Well, thank you.
1: There is a prayer that my mom gave me when I was younger. It is kind of long, but I, it's kind of my mantra. It's called God's Promise. God has not promised skies always blue, flower strewn pathways all our lives through. God has not promised sun without rain, joy without sorrow, peace without pain, What God has promised, strength for the day, rest for the labor, light for the way, grace for the trials, help from above, unfailing sympathy, undying love. So that is... You made me cry. (laughs) I need that
0: prayer. Today would have been the 57th um, birthday of my late husband, Kevin. So thank you for sharing that um, with me. I need to have that. And also, please do share how our guests can get in touch with you.
1: Okay, well, as you know, I have not yet written my book, but I am starting on it. So at this point, I don't have a website, but I am on Instagram. And I do want to start sharing more content to, to help heal or to help people in their healing journey. And on Instagram, I'm Mo, M-O-E, Pierce 6
0: Excellent. Maureen Pierce, it has been a pleasure. You are an amazingly strong, beautiful, courageous woman. Thank you for spending this time with us.
1: Thank you for having me. And I really appreciate your words. What I want you to know as you brought up the BYLR community earlier, whether it's that community, my family, my amazing family, my friends, I get so much strength from other people's stories. And your story has touched my heart and that always fills my soul too, is to hear about other people and just following inspiring people is a great way to heal.
0: Amen to that. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jody. This is WCN, the Whole Care Network. You talk,
1: we listen.